Biblical decision-making is not that difficult if you're the only one making the decision. Oh, there's challenges, of course. But it's much easier if you're the only one making the decision and you're the only one that's affected by the decision. But once the number of contributors to the decision-making process increases, the more challenging it will be to navigate the process with humility and no sinful reactions. Welcome to the podcast. I am Rick Thomas. You're listening to Your Daily Drive. I want to talk about decision-making in this podcast, but I want to talk about it specifically within the One Flesh Union, marriage-type counseling, marriage guidance, marriage advice is the most common thing that we do, and at the heart of all marriage issues is this idea of decision-making. And so I have an article here, and I want to share it with you in this podcast. The title of the article is called Guidelines for Making Decisions as a Couple. I want to give you several guidelines, and I'll go ahead and let you know up front. I have 20-something, about 28 questions that I'm going to share with you. They're sprinkled throughout the article that is in front of me, the podcast that you're listening to. And so I would encourage you to get on the website. This would make an excellent homework assignment for you and your spouse. You can go on a few dates over the next couple of weeks, and you can read the article. It's 2,000 words, but the real heart of it are the questions that I'm going to ask you, and these 20-something questions would be fantastic, not just conversational starters, but it'll get into the meat of your discussions and what you need to address. Now, maybe decisions come easy for you as a couple, and you have that symmetry, and you can make decisions, and you're glorifying God and all of that. But most people have a difficult time, and that's why I want to share this article with you. If you have a specific question about this article, well, you know what to do by now. Go on our website and ask it. It's free. Get on our community forum and ask your question. Flatten it out. Change the names to protect the guilty. And ask us about decision-making or anything else. There's a short video here as well. It's around 10 minutes, maybe. You can watch it. And it is on the process of decision-making. I also have an article here about that, and there's a couple other articles embedded as well. So you could spend a lot of time just around this idea, but I want to give you some tips as you... They're really foundational. They're context. They give you the context that you need to make decisions. Now, if you want to know how to make a decision, then read my article, How to Make a Biblical Decision, which is embedded here. It's one of the most read articles on our website. The video that's embedded here also is one of the most popular ones that people view because decision-making is a big deal. So let's get into it. Welcome to marriage. When two singles become one flesh, the decision-making process changes dramatically. If you are married, you know that. If you are not, welcome to your future. Because the married couple is actually one person seeking to put Christ on display in every way. The way that I have historically taught my children about 
what daddy and mommy are is I'd hold up one finger or I would draw one line down a piece of paper and I would ask them in the context of mom and dad, I would ask them, what is that? And they would see the one finger or the one line and they would say, well, that's y'all. That is you all. You're one flesh. You're one person. And because that we are one person, it is essential that we work through the decision-making process with God-glorifying goals in mind. The married couple, they are partners, equally responsible to each other and to God for what they decide and for how they work through the process of decision-making. It's not just about the goal, the outcome, the decision that you come to. But it's also about the process. And if you're not careful, the process can be so arduous and so awful that it can have long-term repercussions. There can be a negative residual effect if you just bang out a decision and the process is horrific. And so it's not just about the goal that you come to or the decision that you arrive at, but it is about the process. So in this article, I am going to lay down a few general and biblical guidelines that can serve any couple when it comes to when it comes time to work through a decision. Now, if you're not married, you can use these thoughts to help with your critical decisions because the critical decisions that you make God willing, hopefully, you have enough sense to know to make those decisions in community. The big decisions we shouldn't make in a vacuum, isolated, man on a mountain, and no one else is involved. There is safety in a multitude of counselors, and you need at least one other person to help you with the decision. And so this would be very helpful for a single person to Uh, listen to and to take heed and work through these questions. Perhaps you have a good friend that you can share with. I would recommend that you do that. Now, you can adapt the application questions at the end of each section. I have three or four sections, uh, ideas that I want to share with you, and you can adapt these questions to anyone who is collaborating on a decision. I recommend you take time to answer all of the questions after each section that I provide here. Now, if you're married, this will be an excellent opportunity for you, for you to work together. It will make a great date. So let's go ahead and get started. Let's see what I have here. I have one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven points. So I have seven points that I want to cover with you. And the first one is maybe the most important. You cannot sin. Regardless of the issues discussed or the particulars involved in the decision that you're working through, there is no situation where it would be appropriate or permissible for either partner to sin during or after the process. This mandate is not only common sense, it's biblical. Because once sin infringes on what you're trying to do, you'll not be able to come to a right decision until the blurring effect of sin is removed. And it is blurring. It dims the vision. That's what sin does. It dulls the mind. And when you're making a decision, you don't want a dull mind. You don't want a blurred vision. 
and if sin encroaches and is now part of an unwelcome visitor into the decision-making process, well, you need to take care of that. That can't happen, but I know it does. Sin clutters the mind and clouds judgment. If a spouse chooses to sin, the most immediate item on the agenda that day, that night, is to repent. Removing the sin at this juncture is more critical than the decision you're attempting to make. Please listen. You can't move forward until you take care of the division that is in your one flesh union. It happens all the time. None of us are immune from sinning, especially when we're passionate and feel so right about what we what we want to do. And that's why I added an article inside this one here, 13 Steps to Repent Fully. You need to know how to repent because I promise you, young person, you're about to get married. I promise you that you're going to sin against your spouse when it comes to this idea of decision-making, and you need to know how to repent. You can't move forward until you take care of it. If someone chooses not to repent, not to change, it will be even more difficult to come to an agreement. Too often couples get into sinful arguments while trying to make a decision and never fully repent, which keeps the breach in place. This outcome creates three problems where only one previously existed. Here they are. The first problem was the decision they were trying to make. That's the original issue. But somebody, maybe both, but somebody started sinning in the process. Now they have two other problems beside the de- besides the decision that they were trying to decide. The second problem, they introduced sin into the conversation, and it divided them. So you have the original decision that you're working through. Now you're divided, so you can't come together. And then number three, a lack of full repentance will keep you divided. Thus, you can never make a right biblical decision until you come together and resolve the sin that is between you. Refusing to discuss what has divided you is called a complicating matter. It piles on or complicates the decision-making process. Think of sin like a human being, like another person. And you and your wife, or you and your spouse, rather, are in the living room and you're trying to work through something and then somebody gets sinfully angry. Well, sin comes in, that human being illustration. Sin comes in and piles on both of you. Now you have the decision that you're trying to work through, and you have this thing that is on top of you trying to divide y'all and wrestle you to the ground. And if it is not removed, it could be analogous to trying to swim with leg weights on. So point number one, you cannot sin. Here's a few questions for you to think about. Are you working through a decision in your marriage? Okay, good. Number two, are there any tensions? or unresolved issues between you and your spouse, number three. Can you bring up your tension and get things out in the open? If you can't, you've got a problem. Not just the decision you're trying to make, but it's the sin problem, the divisive problem. Number four, 
Are you generally characterized as a willing repenter, a quick repenter? If you're not, why not? And so point number one, you cannot sin. Point number two, decisions should not take long. There could be something wrong with a relationship when it takes a long time to come to a decision. Now, I realize there's data gathering that you have to do, and there's due diligence. I'm not talking about being impulsive here. That's not what's in view. And perhaps you're not going to act on what you decided for a few months or even years. But once you get your data collected, once you have done your due diligence, the actual decision-making process should not take that long. If someone is holding out by refusing to agree with the other person, it does not necessarily mean the hesitant spouse is wrong. Maybe the one who wants to move forward is wrong, and the one holding out is in the right. Holding out and not moving forward, thus you can't come to your decision. It could be God's kindness to the one who wants to get on with it. Maybe God is keeping the couple from making a dumb decision that they would regret for many years to come. That's why Jesus' sober warning about self-awareness is critical in Matthew 7. Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your spouse's eye. Let me ask you a few questions about this point. Decisions should not take long. How difficult is it for you to acknowledge that you were wrong? Having self-awareness, looking at the log in your eye rather than speck fishing. Number two, Are you willing to entertain the thought that your spouse could be right? Now, the problem with that question is, is that the spouse who is unwilling to assess themselves and really wants to blow through this decision, you know what they're going to do? Hey, yeah, did you hear Rick? Rick said you should be willing to entertain the thought that I could be right. Well, that spouse, that's a dumb spouse, by the way. That's an ignorant spouse. That spouse needs to flip it around and say, oh, well, maybe, maybe I am wrong. Question number three, can you clearly articulate your spouse's position? Do you understand what they are saying? It would be good at this point to turn it around and say, you, you, you articulate what your spouse is trying to say, the point that they're trying to make, and prove to yourself and prove to your spouse that you understand their position. You're just not trying to bowl them over. Question number four, what are the good points about your other, your spouse, the other person's position? Point number one, you cannot sin. This is the title of the podcast, Guidelines for Making Decisions as a Couple. You cannot sin. Number two, decisions should not take long. Number three, borrow brains. Proverbs eleven fourteen, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now, while there can be confusion in a multitude of counselors, I've seen that also, I like this verse at 11.14, safety and an abundance of counselors, but I also know sometimes people talk to too many people. 
They get too much information, too many conflicting opinions. But there is certainly safety if you choose to talk to someone outside your marriage. Every person or couple should have at least one person they can bounce things off of for clarity's sake. Helping people with problems is what God has called all Christians to do for each other. Though you would not necessarily ask for advice on everything you do, it's definitely a humble thing to reach out to someone who has the wisdom and breadth of knowledge to speak into your life. Here's a few questions for you under this point. Borrow brains. Number one, do you have a trusted friend who can advise you on your decision? Number two, what are the advantages of talking to someone else about your decision? Number three, what would hinder you from talking to someone else? And number four, if you don't have a trusted friend, why not? Will you reach out to us? We have a free community forum that you can jump on. Please talk to us. It would be our joy to try to help you in whatever limited way that we can help you. There is a problem, though. There can be a problem, and I've seen this often, where people won't reach out because they don't hold their ideas loosely. They hold them with pride, tightly. They're stubborn, and they don't want to submit their ideas to other people because they are afraid of what the other person may say. Guidelines for making decisions as a couple. One, you cannot sin. Two, decisions should not take that long. Borrow brains, number three. And number four, the husband is not a dictator. The husband and wife are a team who balance each other out for God's glory and their mutual benefit. There have been many times when my wife has appealed to me because her conscience was not coming to terms with some of the decisions that I was thinking about making. In those cases, I listened to her appeals. My wife is a Christian. She loves God. She has the Spirit of God inside of her, the Illuminator inside of her. She reads her Bible. She has a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. She knows Christ. He knows her. They relate well to each other. But more than all of that, that's great. Plus, she possesses gifts of the Spirit that I do not have. The things the Spirit has given to me are not identical to what he has given to her, which is why I do not see her as an irritating appendage to our marriage. Lucia is an instrumental asset to what the Lord is doing in our lives. She's my most valuable ally, and I would hope that I'm her most valuable ally. And I trust her walk with God and the wisdom that he gives her. I want her to know what I want her to know what she is hearing. I want to know what she is hearing from the Lord. I'll get it out eventually. I want to know what she is hearing from the Lord. This point, the husband is not a dictator. A few questions to think about. Does your spouse have a relationship with God? Now, maybe they don't. Now, if your spouse is not a believer or not a mature believer, There's some things to work through there. Number two, are you willing to tap into that relationship and learn what God is revealing to your partner? Question three, are you willing to accept the possibility that God may be leading your spouse in the right direction? Number four, are you more about being right 
or are you more about discerning God's perspective, regardless who came up with the idea? It's kind of what I was saying earlier. Some people just don't want to submit their ideas to the public domain, and I'm talking about one or two trusted people, not the entire public domain, because they don't want that feedback, because they are afraid that the person is going to say no. This point is the husband is not a dictator. The next point, the wife is not a doormat. The wife can and should make a humble appeal to her husband when, when she believes in her conscience that her husband may be making a poor decision. There's no such teaching in Scripture that a wife is to submit to her husband in everything Though some people misinterpret the everything in Ephesians 5.24. Now, I can't get into interpretation of that verse in this podcast for time, but in Ephesians 5.24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And some people have an unbiblical interpretation of what Paul is saying there. Thus you submit to your husband in everything. Well, that's not what Paul was saying. For example, if you're at, now this is going to be a harsh illustration, so brace yourself, but I want to make a strong point here. If your husband asked you to kill your son, you would not submit to his request. And so therefore, the everything in Ephesians 5.24 can't mean if you are a person who holds to that. That's a faulty misinterpretation of that passage. Perhaps your husband asked you to lie, to cheat, to steal. In any of those cases, your allegiance to the Lord would forbid you from submitting to your husband. Having a sound hermeneutic is critical when interpreting Bible words, Bible verses, and Bible passages. And so I'll go back to my point. There is no such teaching in scriptures, in the scriptures, that a wife is to submit to her husband in everything. A wife is to submit to her husband, and she should be humble and respectful toward her husband. But as I have told my wife many times, if she does not share what she thinks, she's not serving me effectively, and she's not honoring God completely. I don't want a doormat wife. I do not want her to agree with me just because it may be the path of least resistance. I want a wife who can boldly appeal to me, but yet humbly submit to me. I want a wife who can think for herself. Of course, it's incumbent upon me to create a context of grace where she experiences the freedom to speak her mind according to how she's hearing from God. I need my wife to compliment me. We need each other. This point is the wife is not a doormat. The questions I have here, husband, how have you created a context of grace in your home that motivates your wife to share her authentic thoughts Too often, we husbands do not create that context of grace, and the side effect, the negative side effect is it creates pockets of silence between the husband and the wife. She will not share everything that she is thinking and when she needs to. Question two, how do you hinder her from being free within the marriage to share openly, honestly, transparently? Number three, wife. Are you willing to step up courageously and serve your husband and honor God by appealing to him according to how God is leading you? 
And then number four, do you respect your husband? The last two points is the are the husband is not a dictator, the wife is not a doormat. The next point is it's not about the decision. When decisions divide, there's something wrong with the marriage. The marriage is a one flesh union that nothing divides except death. I understand divorce divides, but that's sin dividing. The only sin that should divide the marriage is death, even though other things do divide it, like decision-making. Working through a decision is a beautiful opportunity to assess your relationship with each other. Decisions are opportunities to put Christ on display in your marriage. If you do not make Christ your centerpiece because of childishness, fighting, pettiness, the decision you're attempting to make becomes a mirror that shows the exact condition of your relationship. In this case, it's why I said it's not about the decision. The decision then becomes a a mirror that shows where you really are. And if your marriage cannot withstand the decision-making process or the outcome of the decisions that you make, you need to find help because there's something wrong with you all. There is nothing that should disrupt continuously The unity and harmony found in the marriage union. The husband and wife are a picture of Christ and his church. This point is not about the decision. Questions. What does your decision-making process typically reveal about your marriage? Are you a cohesive team, a divided couple, or somewhere in the middle? Question three. Do you look forward to tackling problems together? Question five, uh, uh, four. I don't know what I just said, but that was question three. Here's question four. What do you need to change to become better partners in the decision-making process? Here's my last point, number seven, gospel. The gospel drives decision-making. A couple who rightly understands the gospel realizes that Christ resolved their most significant problem at the cross. That's your biggest decision. That was your biggest problem to solve, and Christ solved your biggest problem at the cross. There is nothing that this couple will ever face that will come close to the problem that they had at the cross. The gospel-centered person, the person who understands this, is the gospel-centered person. The gospel-motivated couple interact with each other as a grateful couple who see all of life as a gift. You see, if your worst problem in life has been resolved, life is a perk. Life is a blessing. This couple is not controlled by what they get or do because they live in the daily awareness of they're doing far better than they deserve. Their pressing needs and their most frequent desires do not dictate or drive them. They live in daily contentment that Christ offers through the gospel. Gratitude characterizes them. It's no longer about wins and losses. Their ambitions are for the glory of God, not for personal gain or glory robbing. They will accept a no. No, we can't do that. Just as easily as they accept a yes, we can do that. It's not about either one. 
but about accomplishing God's will in the relationship. There is no tug of war between them, but two people pulling the same direction. They are mutually cheering each other while living in the daily amazement of the gospel. This is what the gospel does to you. It brings that kind of stability to your soul. It brings that kind of contentment because your greatest problem in life has been resolved at the cross. You have a shalom that passes all understanding. And so this couple is free for freedom. God has set us free. Therefore, they are seeking the interest of others more than their own self-interest, which is what Paul said in Philippians 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This last point, gospel drives decision-making. Here's a few questions to ponder. Number one, how does the gospel affect your spouse in the decision-making process? Evaluate your spouse as it relates to the gospel. How does the gospel affect your spouse? And then turn it around. How does the gospel affect you? Question number two, do you have to win regardless of the outcome? Why or why not? Why or why not? Do you have to win regardless of the outcome? Number three, are you genuinely seeking to accept your spouse's position? Are you working to accept your spouse's position? And number four, is it your first instinct to find the good in your spouse's point of view? Again, the verse I read, look out to the interest of others. Count others more significant than yourself. The title of the podcast is Guidelines for Making Decisions as a Couple. You cannot sin. Decisions should not take that long. Borrow brains is number three. Four, the husband is not a dictator. Five, the wife is not a doormat. Six, it's not about the decision. And number seven, the gospel drives decision making. You want to talk about this? Let us know get on our forums. We would love to chat with you. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.